We have got a controversial one for you today, especially if you work in education, because in this episode, we're talking about the ways in which prisons and schools are similar and how in at least one way, prisons are actually better. So buckle in, my friends, we are in for an emotional ride. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Kabi Kabi and Gubby Gubby people. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place. We recognise Aboriginal people and sorry, we recognise we recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the original custodians of this land and acknowledge that they have never ceded sovereignty. We respect all Kabi Kabi and Gabi Gabi elders, ancestors and emerging elders and any First Nations people listening today. The relentless people pleaser in me just wants to add a caveat that this episode might be triggering for those of you working in schools or with children attending schools. So, Please know that this isn't a dig at teachers or parents. It is a view, my view, and the opinion of some others um, in the books that we're sharing today about our current school system. Now, as teachers, if we truly believe that we are in it for the children, then we do need to be constantly reflecting on our practices and whether or not they truly are the best practices for children and not just children's learning, but children as a whole. And I think sometimes we forget about that. Current research tells us that it is not, and yet we are still doing the same old thing that we've been doing for 150, 200 years. So the aim of this episode is to simply start a conversation similar to the one I had 10 years ago that prompted me to start reading about alternative education models and began that chain reaction of events that led me here advocating for change in the school system. So if nothing else, I just hope it provokes some conversation, hopefully more questions, and hopefully puts some people at ease that have been feeling the same way but perhaps haven't heard these things voiced as well. The inner child in you may also resonate with some of the things that are brought up today. So let's get started. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. I'm going to start with a story about a time when I was doing some relief teaching between having my two children. I once had a really thoughtful conversation with a group of Year 8 students during a free choice lesson that their teacher had allocated them. Now, if they'd completed all of their work, they could choose from some very limited quiet activities, you know, word searches, colouring in. And if not, then they had to finish their assignment and their textbook work. Now, of course, those students that found the subject really easy had free time. And we're obviously happy with this deal, though they would have (laughs) really preferred to be doing other things in word searches and colouring in. Whereas those that already really struggled at school, and particularly this subject, they didn't want to do that work. They were disgruntled by the perceived busy work, the fill-in time, and they weren't afraid to share their thinking with me. One young man started the discussion with something along the lines of, Miss, why is school like prison? And I, I know, you know, I just laughed. Ah, you know, that's funny. 
and then, you know, let him continue. And he said, we don't have any freedom here. The teachers just order us around. They tell us what to do. If we do anything they don't like, we get punished for it. And even when we try our hardest, like today, I still get punished for it. And my little heart went out for him and the others agreed with him and then they started giving examples as well. You know, there's no input in the kind of work that there was assigned. There was a lack of choice with whom they could work on projects. There's an expectation that they must be silent while working, even if they were asking a friend for help with their work. They have to wear a uniform, just like people in prison. <laughs> They're being told when they could eat, like in prison, when they could use the bathrooms, when they could sharpen their pencil or get a laptop from the cart. One of the young ladies even suggested that the food in the canteen <laughs> was like prison food. You know, the whole group laughed with that. And while at the time we were all laughing, that conversation really stayed with me and it reminded me that I too often compared my time at school when I was a student to prison. I felt stuck in a place where I was jailed by other people's interests other than mine. And I agreed with the teenagers of a study that I've just read from is back in 2004 by Gallup who described the two most common feelings at school as bored and tired in that order. Nearly 50% of students chose bored as the first feeling they described of school, and then tired was about nearly 40% of students chose tired as their second choice. Bored and tired, is that what we want of our children for the 12 years of their schooling life? And that just prompted me later as a teacher to ask myself, am I the jail warden? Am I the corrections officer? You know, walking around, patrolling, monitoring uniforms of young men with beards and surveilling kids, you know, when I was on duty at recess, it sometimes made the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. You know, what was it that I was looking for? I was literally looking for disobedience. And that then prompted me to wonder, how was this strengthening my relationship with the student? And how is this attributing to their learning? You know, the wonderful British author Sir Ken Robinson notes about bell schedules alone, that's an organising device. It's not an educational principle. So why do all schools follow them? Let's start with a few ways that other people compare schools to prisons. We bang on and on about um Boston College psychology professor Peter Gray's book, Free to Learn. And in it, he makes the connection between school and prison. He writes, everyone who has ever been to school knows that school is prison, but almost nobody beyond school age says that it is because it's not polite. It's a prison in that young people are compelled to attend school by law, are unable to voluntarily leave, voluntarily leave, are told what to do and when, and are required to consume a standardised curriculum. Another way that schools are like prisons are the cages. And yes, we can say, no, not all schools, but if you took a tour around some of the local schools in my area today in 2022, you might find yourself wondering if schools are trying to keep dangers out, whatever they think they might be, that couldn't just walk through the door in the front office anyway, or if they were trying to cage our teenagers in. We literally have, in at least half a dozen schools that I can think of, big black fences over six foot tall that look exactly like prison bars surrounding the entire schools, and they create a very jail-like look. 
And so a question we might ask is why are so many teachers wagging and leaving the school premises that our administration of these schools think that we need fences like this? Why don't teenagers want to stay? Why don't they want to learn? Now, author Jay Griffiths, who wrote the book Kith, is very passionate about what he terms the quote-unquote caging of children. In his book Kith, he writes, if there is one word which sums up the treatment of children today, it is enclosure. Today's children are enclosed in school and home by four walls and fences, enclosed in cars to shuttle between them, enclosed by fear, by surveillance and poverty, and enclosed in rigid schedules of time. He then expands on this and adds that we enclose children's feet and shoes and babies in high chairs, prams, playpens, jolly jumpers and bumbos for the convenience of adults, not for their development because we are overworked and overwhelmed. And about the caging at schools, even Maria Montessori back in her day agreed saying, we must quit our role as jailers and instead take care to prepare an environment in which we do as little as possible to exhaust the child with our surveillance and instruction. Now I know this will feel quite triggering, but what we need to think is are we doing what's best for children or are we making things easier for adults? Because another way that prisons are similar to schools is the focus on obedience. Now the school system, you know, what we call conventional, It was not actually founded on a scientific understanding of how children learn. It was actually developed initially quite explicitly for the purpose of obedience training and indoctrination. Again, I know this is triggering. Have a look, go do some research about the history of where and how schools were started because it was invented at a time when people believed that children were naturally sinful and must be strictly trained to obey authority in in order to overcome that sinfulness. It also maintained that there are certain truths, which mostly originated from the Bible, that everyone must accept as doctrine. No questions asked. The basic format of schooling, with all children being taught the same lessons at the same time, regularly tested and rewarded for passing and punished for failing, was well designed for this obedience training and indoctrination. So school was never an evidence-based intervention. The Prussians did not start with large studies comparing different educational methods and then conclude that classrooms of desks with teachers and textbooks was the way to go. A single teacher addressing a large group of children was simply the most practical and cost-efficient way to do it. So that's what they did. And that format has unfortunately been passed down, essentially unchanged from generation to generation. We've changed how we talk about school, but not how we do it. Think about it. Really, almost the only way children can fail in school is to not do what they are told to do. And the only way they can pass is to do exactly what they are told to do. Challenging authority almost always gets you into trouble in school, even if it's a genuine question. And what is it that you must do? You must memorize and feedback what you are taught. Now, Just a note on equity while I'm thinking about it, (laughs) because this one-size-fits-all education model was and still can be severely problematic for our first custodians who are still being forced to assimilate into an education system that doesn't prioritise the way that our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have lived, learned and thrived on these lands for thousands and thousands of years still being forced to attend schools that don't prioritise your language, your rich oral storytelling, your spirituality and your deep connection to country. Instead, a new religion was forced on an entire race of people 
And this schooling did not depict an, and still does not depict an accurate history of colonisation and so it is still deeply harming. Schools were introduced to missions here in Australia to essentially wipe our First Nations cultures out. This is deeply harmful, is still harmful, and yet we still are assuming that our First Nations, our First Custodians, need to just assimilate into this very white colonial model of education. This is a whole episode in itself that I won't deep dive into, but we need to think about what's best for all children, not just our typical white, very academic children that are on the university stream. And things haven't changed much since then. You know, if a Victorian-era teacher travelled forwards in time, then they'd have no problems recognising a classroom and they would still know exactly where their place was. The teacher would be at the front of the lesson, groups of children would listen, and they'd apparently be learning. For the poor children of this era, this might have been the only way that they could learn to read and write if they had illiterate parents. But for modern children, things are really different now. Access to information has been transformed since Victorian times. In the 1890s, you had to carry knowledge in your head. And if you didn't know something, you had to find the library or someone in the know. But with the invention of the internet, free university like Open University and programs like Khan Academy, this is no longer the case. So why do we still follow this model? Another way that schools are similar to prisons is that we control children's time. Schools like prisons do things in a certain way because they have to. When you have 30 children in a small room who are all meant to learn the same things at the same time, no matter where they are in their development, you need a schedule and you need clear timings. You need fixed eating times, break times and bottoms on seats for much of the time. If you don't work out ways to control those children's or those inmates, then mayhem will ensue. I get that. Does it mean that it's best for children as a whole? These methods aren't anything to do with education. They are to do with the logistics involved with managing large numbers, numbers of people. Somehow, the things which school do in order to manage children have become part of what we think a good education should include. So when school stops, like in the pandemic, many of us try to reproduce the same thing at home in the belief that this is the ideal. Many of us found that it didn't work at home because parents don't have as much power and control at home because there's not as much bribery and coercion. It's a sign of how deep our schooling goes, the difficulty that we have in imagining any alternative. It doesn't occur to us to wonder if this is actually the best way to learn. You know, even if we hated school and our children in turn hate school, we continue to just carry through the motions. It was a really sobering moment for many parents during lockdown because when they realise that given the choice, their children really didn't want to do the things that they do at school. And school children, like inmates, are powerless. They have no choice at all about what they do or when they do it. But if they can, they always choose something different. So we need to let go of the idea that all children have to learn things in the same order. We would never expect this of adults. And so there's no reason to expect it of children. You know, we don't stop learning automatically at 18. And it doesn't matter. Children learn and they, whether they go to school or don't go to school, and there will be gaps in their learning whether they attended school every day or not, because that doesn't mean that when it got taught that they understood it. It doesn't mean that they were ready for that knowledge when it was taught to them. 
We also have to let go of the idea that adults are the best people to plan children's learning and the myth that learning can be effectively controlled through rewards and punishment. Now, Vicky did a fantastic interview with Alfie Cohn all about this. Um, it'll be up in a few episodes, so make sure you give that a listen when, when it comes out in a few weeks' time. We also need to learn to distinguish between education and school. We need to stop thinking that education means teaching a standardised curriculum and micromanaging children's time. These are things that school requires, not education. And these are not new ideas. Educators have noticed for centuries that children learn better when they choose what they do. There are free schools, democratic and self-directed education schools, Sudbury schools and forest schools all over the world and studies showing that the students that graduate from them are as successful as their schooled peers, but also they are often happier. Now, do we want children that are just learned, or do we want fully rounded, healthy and happy children? Now, another way that prisons are similar to school is that the system only works for a few. In Victoria, 43% of prisoners released during 2018 and 19 returned to prison within two years. Now, I wouldn't call that a successful system. Similarly, in Australia in 2020, 30% of Year 12 boys and 20% of Year 12 girls didn't even get their high school certificate. Now, this doesn't account for the thousands of students that don't make it to Year 12 even. These aren't great statistics in a school system where the most important outcome is passing exams. If we're to measure schools on their exam results, I'd probably call that a failure. It's, this isn't. This is just their HSC. This isn't even success in their exams. So, what if instead we base their success on children's enthusiasm for learning, on their mental and physical health, on their connection to community? What might schools look like then? Now, this one might be shocking to some of you, but this is the way, or one of the ways, that prison is actually better than classrooms. And obviously, this is one of our passions because it's a lack of time outdoors. So three quarters of UK children spend less time outside than prison mates, according to a survey in 2016 that revealed the extent to which time playing in parks, woods and fields has shrunk. A fifth of children did not play outside at all on an average day. It's crazy to me. So the survey questioned a sample of 2,000 parents and found 75% of children spent less than 60 minutes playing outside each day. Now, the UN guidelines for prisoners require at least one hour of suitable exercise in the open air daily. Our prison mates (laughs) get more outdoor time than 75% of primary school-aged children. I'm going to give you a second to let that thing sink in. Now, we know that active play is essential to health and development of children. We also know that parents' fears and lack of green spaces and the lure of digital technology is leading our youngsters to lead enclosed lives. We're going back to that caged, enclosed, encaged lives. Most of the parents polled said their children have fewer opportunities to play outside than they did when they were young. They found that one in nine children had not set foot in a park, forest, beach, or any other natural environment for at least a year. One in nine, no park, forest, beach, or other natural environment for at least a year. Now, I know this is from the UK, 
it doesn't mean it's not happening now. Australians seem to think that we are this outdoorsy, active, you know, beach and national park loving people. And I know that in my circle, many of us are, but there are many, many, particularly in our urban areas that do not live this way. They also found that children spent twice as long playing on screens as playing outside. We know There's academic research that shows that active play is the natural and primary way that children learn. Ken Robinson again says it's essential to their healthy growth and progress, particularly during periods of rapid brain development. We must place adequate importance on play now so that our precious children grow up into successful, well-rounded and happy adults. Parents see the value of outdoor play, but it still doesn't happen. So we need to have a think about a few things because when we believe that school is essential, many of us as parents and teachers ignore the significant misgivings about how school affects our children. We believe that getting an education is so important that it's worth making other sacrifices for. But if school is just one way to get an education, then factors such as unhappiness, loss of passion in learning, anxiety or bullying, they'll then become prices which might be too high to pay. Peter Gray and Gina Riley conducted a survey of unschooling families and they asked, what for your family has been the biggest challenge or hurdles to surmount in unschooling? And far and away, the most frequent answer had to do with the feelings of social pressure and criticisms from relatives and friends, neighbours, even strangers that they'd experienced from doing something outside the norm. We are creatures of norms and it's hard to run against the social tide. Non-normal seems to imply abnormal and abnormal is bad. It takes real courage to do what you think or even know is right when most others don't understand. But gradually, as more people are taking the route of self-directed education, the sense of it being non-normal is diminishing. We believe in the tipping point theory of social change, that at first, you know, just a few pioneers take the new route and they carve the way and it becomes easier for the next slightly bigger wave to follow. And eventually enough have taken that route so that everyone knows someone who was unschooled. And at that point, it no longer seems abnormal. And if it's clearly a better route for our children than the old one, then the floodgates will open. We believe that we're on that trajectory with self-directed education. I'm pretty sure. I don't know when the gates will open, but I truly hope that it's within my lifetime. We are creatures of norms. We need to try and create a new norm. These prison-like schools are just the latest factor prompting more parents to opt out of public schools together. Parents are increasingly choosing educational freedom over coercion for their children. So if this has resonated with you, moving forward, what are some things that you can do? You can start looking into home education or in particularly self-directed education or unschooling. There's all sorts of free information on the internet from local state home education associations or if you're like me and you prefer to get all your info in one place, you can purchase our Intro to Unschooling course from our website, which we go through from woe to go what that can look like for your family. You could go to some homeschool meetups, some forest schools and other programs and ask other homeschooling and unschooling parents questions. A lot of these offer casual sessions or trials. It's a great way to start meeting people and seeing and meeting children and understanding and seeing what they look like outside of school. There's that saying from Carol Black, 
Testing children in schools is like testing killer whales at SeaWorld. We don't know what children are capable of doing and what that looks like outside of school because most people don't see that. I see it every day. I love, I love watching children be themselves. I love watching them learn the way that they naturally learn. I love watching them be so comfortable in who they are. I hadn't seen that until I stepped outside of that school system. And now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. Now, if you but if you can't see any other way of educating your children other than school, that doesn't mean you can't do anything. You know, if your child is at school, you can give them more mental health days. Who gives a flying you know what about attendance if your child is not mentally well? If your child is suffering, if your child hates school, if they feel like they're dumb, take them out of school a couple of times a term and go and let them enjoy themselves at something that they're good at or that just brings them joy. They need to find things that they can do for their own joy or curiosity that they're not told that they suck at. Teachers might not tell them that explicitly, but children know that when they're being graded, they are being compared. And if they're not at the top, then they feel like crap. (laughs) You can forward this info on this episode onto your teachers, your PNC, and see what they can do. Can you add a messy Friday to take some pressure off of staff and students and give them some much needed autonomy around their learning and some outdoor time? Can you add some loose parts to your playground? Can you organise an excursion outdoors or build an outdoor learning classroom or get us or another nature play business into run an incursion? Are there some assessments that your children can have a little more autonomy around? Does the uniform policing need to be so rigid, particularly with things like hair colouring and hairstyles? Who gives a crap if your kid has a mullet when they're seven years old? Who cares about jewellery? Who cares about shoes and socks and backpacks? I don't know if you've ever tried to find your backpack in assembly with a thousand other students who have the exact same identical backpacks. It's a logistical and time-wasting nightmare. It makes no sense other than for policing disobedience. A journey starts with a single step. So watch small changes you can make as a parent or member of the PNC could start a ripple effect of change for your school, your community, or even for your entire generation of your children. The system needs a shake-up. Now, if you really want to make a big change, you could even start your own independent school. Plenty of people are doing it and doing it really well. You can jump on Facebook and search for independent schools or democratic schools and join in the conversation. And I'd strongly suggest checking out Peter Hutton's website called the Future Schools Alliance, where they're doing some really amazing things in education. There's other schools even in our area here around the southeast coast of Brisbane. You've got the Mullaney Independent School, Blackall Independent School, Blackall Range, sorry, um, Brisbane Independent School. You've got the Pine Community School in Brisbane. They are all doing incredible things. There are other ways to do things that are better for children within the same rigid education system that we have to work within. And if this conversation's lit a fire in your belly like it did mine all those years ago, and if you can't wait for the education system to change like we couldn't, If you feel misaligned, like you're not doing what's best for children and you don't want to have to follow the Australian curriculum, then you could start your own nature play or alternative education business and be the change that you want to see in the world. 
And if you need, we can help you with this. We've got our wild business course and it is aimed exactly at that, at change makers who want to change what education looks like for our children. It's exactly why we created it. We can't do this on our own, but we can help others make change in their micro communities and then see the flow on effect of this. We can help people who want to centre children and well-being first. So if you'd like to find out more about how you can do that, you can head over to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash wild dash business and join our wait list to be the first to know when we're about to drop some free workshops for our next wild business intake, which will be at the end of November. The only thing stopping us making change is us being silent. So if I can encourage you to do anything this week is to go out and make a bit of noise. Start asking questions. Have conversations with your fellow parents in the playground. Talk to your PNC. Ask them where the research is that the best thing for children is to be sitting in chairs for six hours a day. It doesn't exist. We're talking about whole human beings not just an academic stream. There are other ways for children to learn. If you want more information as well, go and check out our show notes and I'll quickly just reel off the books that I strongly suggest people read. There's Free to Learn by Peter Gray, Raising Free People by Akila Richards, about unschooling as libertarian and healing work. Changing Minds, How Children Can Take Control of Their Own Learning by Naomi Fisher is amazing if you're really interested about how children actually learn and how they can learn outside of school and Kith by Jay Griffiths and also check out that futureschools.education where Peter Hutton's Future School Alliance is. Again, the only thing stopping us from making change is us putting up with the status quo and it's not good enough for our children. So let's make some noise and until then, stay wild. Mm-hmm.